Well, good evening, and it's good to be back with you. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Starting to read of verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again, and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful for those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case. Things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now God will add that reading of his word, and uh, before we look at it, let's just pray. Father, again we come before you, and we just ask you again that you might open these words up to us, that we might understand them, that we might live by them and that we might use them to your glory. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Right, so we come to Hebrews chapter 6 and I've titled this Lessons to be Learned. But before we look at it, let's just see what we've gained up to now. So far, the writer has been showing them, this is the Jewish Christians, how the greatness of Jesus surpasses their previous approaches to God through their former ways of worship. The Jewish Christians need to review what they know about Jesus as their saviour. 
so that they can understand why they no longer need an earthly high priest. Not that the position is redundant. He was their representative before God, and the one who would present to God on behalf of the people the required sacrifices for their sins. But they still need a high priest. And now they have one who is greater. And what he has done is far superior what the um, Aaronic high priest could ever do. So all these things had their place, and they were there for a reason. They represented the one who was to come. And when he came, all these things would be completed in him. And that has happened. If we go back a little bit to chapter 5, and we'll just read uh, verses 13 and 14. It says here, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So what the writer is saying here is, you already have the basis of your faith. Now build on that and go forward towards spiritual maturity. And he's using the illustration. He's saying, just like milk is the starting point for the growth of a baby, you will grow in your knowledge of Christ as you move forward onto more solid food, that is, spiritual food. Now we go on to chapter 6. And as together we do just that, that we feed on the Word of God. And if you like, we join with them as they take the next course. So chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, Therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So what the writer is saying in these words is this. You have a foundation. Now build on that foundation. What about repentance? Well, yes, the Jews, they believed in repentance. And as Christians, the writer is saying, you have received it directly from Jesus. You see, repentance is not just to feel sorry for your sins. It's more than just regret. Repentance is about turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. And the way to become righteous in the sight of God is by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the writer saying, when you did this, you turned away from the need to live by the old order. What about cleansing rites? Well, Exodus chapter 13, 19 to 20, we read this. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. This is the, the labor that was in the, in the court, in, in the temple and in the tabernacle. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting a food offering for the Lord, they will wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance 
for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. So the Jewish way of approach to God and the sacrificial system was right. But the writer is saying, but now you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Now this is a big step for these Jewish believers. They are called now to worship the same God, the God that their fathers worshipped, but in a different way. And this way is by the way of the perfect once and for all sacrifice. And it's without the need of animal sacrifices. So with this in mind, let, let's go forward a, a, a little into chapter 10 of Hebrews. We will eventually come to this and look at it in more detail, but let's just read it now because it is relevant to what we're hearing from the writer at the moment. This is Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 23. He said here, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great high priest, we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So what these Jewish Christians have been reminded of when they're being reminded of what they have in Christ is that they have confidence, confidence to enter the most holy place, this time by the blood of Jesus. This is figuratively speaking in as much as it's not the holy place in the temple. This is entering heaven itself. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, and then when he says about pure water, they enter by the blood of Jesus. And the water is really a representation of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can also consider baptism here. Um, Romans 6, verse 1 to 4. The first part of this is speaking to um, the Christians in Rome over another issue, but the last, latter part of this is very relevant to what we're looking at tonight. So the first part was, uh, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So baptism for Christians is a demonstration of the cleansing of that new life through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So let's go to the subject of laying on of hands that is a Jewish thing, Leviticus 16, verse 21. And we're speaking here of the high priest. And it says, He is to lay both hands on the head of a live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness. 
in the care of someone appointed for the task. So this was a requirement on the Day of Atonement, that one day of the year. This is when the high priest would make atonement for the sins of the people. Part of it would be he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would need to make atonement for his own sins before he did that. But this about the, the, the scapegoat, this is where the sins are placed on the scapegoat and sent out into the wilderness. This was a requirement, as I said, of the Day of Atonement. But now our sins have been placed on one who is the final once and for all sacrifice. And this is another thing that the people here need to grab hold of. Now, they had, because they are Jewish, they would know the scriptures and they would have been told by Isaiah and other prophets that these things would happen. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is talking about the sins of the people now being laid on a person, and that person is Jesus. Resurrection was part of what the Jews believed. The Jews believed in resurrection, and they believed in judgment. They believed that one day the, the dead would rise. Well, now, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. John 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So you see, all these things were important. And they still were important of themselves. They were part of what we might call the Jewish doctrinal basis. And they are if you like, the doctrinal basis of Christianity. You see, Jesus, he was a Jew. He was born of the tribe of Judah. As he walked the earth, he kept their laws. Now, he has fulfilled the law. The difference now is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things, and to go back to them would be wrong for the Jewish Christian. And this is why they need to learn the fullness of what they have in Christ. This is what the writer is saying to them. So let's go on and read verse 4 and through to verse 8 of chapter 6. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God, God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, this is not an easy passage, but we can take things from it uh, this evening. And what we're going to look at here is to have come under the influence of the gospel and deliberately turned away is an evidence that those people had not been saved in the first place. There would have been those who have been saved, but who are in danger of being moved 
back towards the old ways of worship and they need to know why they should not do this. And to those who have accepted the gospel but are trying hard to put these two things side by side, this becomes a public disgrace to the gospel. But one thing that is certain in these verses and in this passage that we're looking at is that the Bible is clear on this fact that once truly saved, you cannot be lost. We can turn to many passages. John 5 verse 24, listen to what Jesus says here. Very truly, that is an emphasis of the, emphasis of the truth of this. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over by death to life. So this is an assurance given, an assurance that's given throughout scripture of eternal salvation. And these things have to be said. They are part of knowing the importance of redemption from the power of the but the power by the shed blood of Jesus and not the blood of animals. These things have now served their purpose. And to reintroduce them into our lives or for them to introduce them into their lives will only bring shame on the power of the cross and the crucified Saviour. We read these verses as well. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful for those for whom it is farmed. Receive the blessing of God, but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Now, in this short passage, this little illustration, we have two things. We have a warning to the Christian not to be lazy and not to be immature, but to continue to grow. But also, there is an affirmation of eternal salvation. Let's go to 1 Corinthians and read from chapter 3, verse 10 through to 15. By the grace God has given me, so this is Paul speaking, this is what he says here to the Corinthian church, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be re revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So this is the work of the Christian that's being judged. This salvation is secure. The builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. So there's the confirmation. If we go to Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23, this is how we should be as Christians, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is how we should be. We don't pick one of these things. They are all part of the same fruit. The fruit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How much of the fruit of the Spirit do we show in our lives? So, out of this passage, there's a challenge for us this evening. There's also a challenge for the first readers. And now, thankfully, we have encouragement and confirmation. So let's just read through verses 9 to 10. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. So what he's saying here is, look, you, you, you are like babes on milk. You need to go on to stronger food. Um, you need to show more of the fruit of the Spirit. But I know that you're weak, but you are saved. You've got that firm foundation. So look ahead to better things. And you already have, and you have shown it. You have the love for God. And you have the love for each other. So develop that and be diligent. And that's where it brings us on to verse 11 and 12. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end. So that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not, we do not want you to become lazy. But to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So the writer's saying here, look, keep on going. Show forbearance. Realize the hope that you have in Jesus. Show patience. Claim the promise and claim the inheritance that is rightfully yours. The writer all the way through here is encouraging. He's showing the truth. He's giving guidance and he's giving encouragement. And this little passage here, I'm going to read 13 through to 15, and I've headed this, the certainty of God's promise to Abraham and the certainty of the oath that God has made. Remember, these are Jewish people. These consider themselves to be children of Abraham. Okay, so we're going back to Abraham. So verse 13 through to 15. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Let's have a, a word from Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is a promise to not just these Jews who had become Christians, but to all who become Christians, Jew and Gentile. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are sons of Abraham, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise that was made, that was made for the Jewish people, but also for the nation's. 
So let's go on to verse uh, 16 through to 18. People swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. So we have here the promise and the oath, both made by God, and God can't lie. Genesis 22, verse 16 to 18. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is the promise. So let's go to verse 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest for the order of Melchizedek, high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You know, as I read that, um, I don't know about you, the thing that came to my mind was the hymn, <laughs> We have an anchor that keeps us all, and we do. Steadfast and sure, while the billows roll, and it will. And we're having some billows rolled at the moment, aren't we, with all this upheaval of the coronavirus. But fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. So we have an anchor, an anchor that keeps our soul. It'll keep it steadfast and sure while all these troubles and these sea billows roll. That's because we're fastened to the rock and that cannot be moved. And it's grounded and it's firm and it's deep and it's all in the Saviour's love. So let's go back to our passage again. A little bit of a digression there. But <laughs> we have, in our passage already, heard this character named Melchizedek. He's been mentioned before in this letter. And the reader has now, up to this point, been prepared and made ready to learn more about his importance. And what these people are learning is to encourage them to be like the Christians that Paul wrote to at Colossae. And it's also an encouragement for us to do this, to continue to grow in the faith, to become more mature, so that we might understand the deeper things like these people need to. Listen to these verses from Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that springs from the hope restored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard 
in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing through the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So we understand God's grace, don't we? We know that when we are saved. But then we need to understand the promise that God has given, the oath that he has made. We need to understand the inheritance that we come into, and it's all through Jesus. And this is the message of Hebrews that these Christian believers had to learn and that we have to learn as well. So I want us just to now consider just this he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And now, we, like the readers, are able to go a little bit further and have a little bit more understanding. But that's for the next time that we gather together for our weekly Bible study. But in the meantime, let's just pray. Father, we thank you again for these words of encouragement and we know that within them there are still things which are hard to understand. And our Father, we pray that we will take from them the things that will encourage us, that will inspire us to be more like you would have us be. We thank you for your word and for the promises that we enter into and we just ask you here to forgive us for the times when we don't really appreciate what we have in Christ because we don't see the fullness of him. And that is very often because of our own laziness. Our Father, just help us to grow, to grow as individuals, to grow as a company of your people, and that we grow by feeding on your word. And our Father, we thank you for the, as it were, the dish that we have enjoyed this evening, and that we will go away and that will nourish our souls and make us stronger and better people. Our Father, we bring these things before you. And again, we thank you for the reminder of that hymn. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the sea billows roll. And we thank you that it is steadfast, it is firm, and it is all in the love of Jesus. And we come to you in his name and bring these our prayers before you in his name, in the one who is our high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. Amen.